Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. You must train your spirit man to be aware of spiritual realities. Things like discernment and knowing the presence of the Lord. Jacob said when in Genesis 28 he saw the vision of the Lord with the ladder from the earth reaching the heavens with the Lord standing on top of the ladder. And he saw angels ascend and descend. He was sleeping, it was like a dream. And when he awoke, he said, surely the presence of the Lord was here and I did not know it. You can encounter great things and not know it, not engage it, because of he was still Jacob at that point. He was not Israel. God had to bring him back to that point literally 20 years later. Remember he named the place Bethel. 20 years later after defrauding his brother when he came back, he had to encounter the Lord 20 years later on a mount where he wrestled with the angel of the Lord and said, I will not let you go until you bless me. The angel asked him, who are you? He said, what is your name? In other words, come to terms with your carnal nature, your identity, your descriptor. He said, I am Jacob, I am supplanter, I am deceiver, etc. From now on, your name will not be that. Your name will be Israel. The Bible says he went down from that point across to Jehovah, which means self-emptying, he emptied himself, reconciled with his strange brother, Esau. He went back to Bethel, where he saw the Lord 20 years before that vision. Bible says he renamed it, he anointed the place, and he renamed it El Bethel, which means, Bethel means house of God, El means God, like anything El, 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 Yon, El Shaddai. So El Bethel means God of the house of God, or the strong house of God. And so the house of God becomes the strong house of God when there's been personal transformation in the life of the Son of God. And he can engage the same location comes back to the same place, but engages it vastly differently from how he did 20 years before. This series on, on integrity has been very challenging, not so? You find it challenging? You find God putting his spotlight on certain areas? It's been very, extremely challenging. Search me, O God, and know my heart, David said, and see if there's any hurtful or offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Later on, when we do the benefits of integrity, I may allude to one benefit towards the end of my teaching, but the benefits of integrity are a lot. And so, but one of the one of the great benefits is proximity to the Lord and the capacity to engage God in a far more deeper level than you did before. So, when He stole conniver, stole deceiver, stole Jacob, He's blessed to a degree, even under Laban's house where he was in his 20-year dislocation. He knew blessing to a degree. They acquired his two wives, Rachel and Leah, the structure that would give birth to the structure of 12 tribes. They would have 12 sons between them and their concubines. Jacob would give birth to 12 sons, would become 12 tribes to form the structure of the nation. God always protected him while he was under Uncle Laban's house, but he longed for his father's house. Remember we said that? James, or Genesis 30 verse 31, I think it is, 
uh, where Laban said to him, I've seen all the while that you were with me, 20 years, that you longed for your, for your father's house. And so he, he was to reintegrate himself into his father's house, reconcile with Esau, change nature. And now he engages the same location, Bethel, where he saw visions of the Lord, and he saw the heights in God, so the speakings of the Lord, the angels, angels of the Lord. Now he doesn't just engage the house of God, but he engages God of the house of God. Okay, it's very important not to just engage the house, but to engage the house, the God of the house. Many people come to the house of God without knowing the God of the house. So when you come, your the capacity to deeply engage God and to really penetrate into Him is going to require purity. It's going to require wholeness. It's going to require integrity. I will show you the scriptures when we deal with that. And so this focus on integrity is a very, very important one. In recent weeks, we've been dealing with the internality of integrity. That's its internal nature. Integrity denotes innocence. It denotes purity. It denotes simplicity on the one hand, and on the second hand, it denotes wholeness and completeness, the one determining the other. So when you maintain your purity, you will entrench your completeness. To be whole, remember I did this, to be together, to be compact, to be solid. There's no infractions, it's a nice word. In mathematics, an integer is a whole number, not decimal or fraction. So the Latin word integer is mathematically used to indicate wholeness. Similarly, in the spirit, the, the, the Hebrew word for integrity is tomei, meaning innocence, completeness, simplicity, purity. But the secondary meaning is wholeness or completeness. As a fraction does not constitute a whole number, so if there are infractions in your life, breakages and infraction, a breach of a principle, you lack wholeness. You become compromised. Okay? Now Jesus said, or John said this, he who breaks the hedge, the snake will come and bite him. Three of John in the old covenant. It says, he who breaks the hedge, the serpent will, will bite him. So if there's a hedge, don't break it, lest the serpent comes through to, 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 to bite you, or to harm or to injure. So, we must not break principles. Okay? The Bible says in First John, he who keeps himself, the enemy will not touch him. The enemy has legal grounds to attack when we compromise a principle. If you can keep the principle, you keep the walls around your life, your family, you have a sense of immunity because of the commitment to integrity. It's going to be a very, very, very important thing that we, we strive for what I call impeccable integrity. Everyone say impeccable integrity. Impeccable. What impeccable means without fault, or the inability to find error. It's impeccable. It's flawless. No spots and no, no blemishes. Okay? God said, I think Rene often quotes this verse in, in Genesis, where God said to Abraham, walk before me and be blameless. Where's the found again? Genesis 18. Walk before me and be and be blameless. But before the prophecy for him being a father of many nations would come to pass, 
God says to Abraham, my requirement for you is that you walk before me and be blameless. You see, the magnitude of the will of God for your life, particularly when it's that, when it's big, when it's substantial, and when it's huge in terms of responsibility, is going to demand that you keep yourself pure. Paul said to his son Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 22, I think it is, he speaks about not laying your hands suddenly on any man. Okay? And at the end of that statement, uh, I think it's first Timothy or the other ones, he says, keep yourself pure. Tell your neighbor, keep yourself pure. Keep yourself, keep yourself pure. The thing is, you must keep yourself. There are things that God can do for you, there are things that others can do for you, but there are things that you need to do for yourself. For yourself. Ruth said to her son, Naomi, in Ruth chapter 3, wash yourself, anoint yourself, put on your best garments. All those words denote personal responsibility. responsibility. You must, there are certain things I need to do for myself that others can't do. So, first John says, he who keeps himself, the enemy will not, will not touch him. So, with impurity, there is immunity. There is protection. The enemy will not touch you if you can keep yourself pure. But the moment you, you, you ride over and just flagrantly disregard a biblical principle, you inadvertently give the enemy legal grounds to attack you. Okay? I can't pray for someone for financial breakthrough that does not time. Publicly, I will be, I will be, I will be breaking a principle because the scripture says, "When you tithe, God says, I will rebuke the devourer for, for your sake." Not so. So, my the act of my obedience brings immediate immunity to me. Right? I cannot pray for that. I have to practically do something. Okay. And so later on, I will speak. This whole section here, I have on financial integrity, because David said when he gathered. Uh, funds for the building of Solomon's temple, he said, I have collected all these because of my delight for the house of my God and in the integrity of my heart have I done it. So I'll speak this whole, uh, a few principles that the Lord spoke to me in reference um, to that. I discussed with you the innocence, the whole relationship between innocence and integrity. I would encourage you, if you missed those, those segments, to access it um, on the website. Last week we looked, and the week before, at Simon the sorcerer, whose heart was not right before God, and the apostles, uh, Peter and John, discerned that, and they told him, the intentions of your heart are not right before God. And I've been camping here in my mind. Everyone say the intentions of the heart. Intentions of the heart. So when the heart is not right, neither can its intentions be. So there's a direct link between the integrity of the heart and the ambition of the heart, or the intention of the heart. Okay? Things you long for, things you reach for, things you yearn for, things you strive for, the ambition, the intention in the heart will reveal whether your, your heart is integrous or not. Okay? So Simon wanted to buy, offer them money. He wanted to buy the gift of the Holy Ghost from the apostles, so he can pray for the guys to be full with the Holy Ghost. And they said, your heart is not right before God. Repent, and perhaps the intentions of your heart might be forgiven. So when your heart is not right, 
it'll begin to express itself in behavior that violates protocol. You can't buy the gift of the Holy Ghost with money, not so? So he attempted to do something that is absurd, something so ludicrous, no rational, sane, even immature Christian would even think of that possibility, not so? So the person that lacks integrity sometimes manifests an outward behavior or intention that looks so stupid, looks like absurd. It's like you want to wake the person up and check them. What are you thinking? That this is a possibility for you. That you think you can buy this gift with money? So listen carefully. I'm saying, I've seen in the kingdom some absurd intentions of the heart. I've seen some ludicrous, outrageous behavior, and it tells me how wicked the heart is. The apostle says, I know, they said to him, your heart is not right with God, and repent. And they said, perhaps the intentions of your heart might be forgiven. And he begged them, please pray to your God that they might forgive. Okay? So, it's not about externalities. It's about the internality of the heart. That is what God is after. Now, as I've said in the WhatsApp, I sent this note to you in the, a, a day or two ago. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, The word of God is living, active, and sharper than any. Two-edged sword. Right? And it pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit, both the joints and marrow, and is able to judge two things. The thoughts and the what? Intentions. And the intentions of the heart. Right? The word thoughts here is the Greek word enthumesis. And it literally means a device. Enthumesis, a device or contrivance in the mind. Have you heard the term, he contrived thoughts, or he contrived ideas? So, device, you device from device, you devise something, that's all. So you think about a plan, or you're ambitious, and you con- concoct is a nice synonym. You concoct or manufacture an ambition, an ambitious thought that's so alien to the purposes and the will of God for your life. That is the idea behind this word. The other word for intentions here, there's two words. Enthumesis is thoughts, but it says that is that one thing. It says, and the intentions of the, and the intentions of the heart. The word intentions here is ennoe, and it literally means this. What is in the mind? Everyone say, what is in the mind? It's like a question or statement of fact. What is in the mind? can either pose a question or a statement of fact. It, is, it also means an idea, a notion, or as it's translated in English, an intention, some versions say a purpose. Only God's word, listen here, only God's word will expose two things, thoughts and intentions. intentions okay? The Bible says the word of God is Living and active. The Word of God is so sharp, like a two-edged sword, sometimes it's very difficult to separate soul and spirit, but only the living Word can do that. Can divide the states of a man's soul and spirit. And then it says, 
and joint and marrow, and is able to, this word judge is a synonym for that, is discern. Okay? The Bible says in Jeremiah 79, the heart of man is wicked, who can know it? Well, this answers the question. Who can know what's in your heart? Only the, the word of God. So whenever the word comes, the word highlights to you the state of the heart. Right? My word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my light unto my pathway. Jesus, who was the word made flesh, many times, you read in the Gospels, he would say to the Pharisees, Why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Okay? And he would walk into a meeting and he knew exactly what they were thinking. But their thinking processes were manifestations of the state of their of their hearts. Why do thoughts arise in your Arise in your hearts. Now, I beg you, church, to watch the state of your heart. I beg you to do some forensic inquiry as to what's lurking there. And I use the word lurking very deliberately. Because there are some thoughts, notions, preoccupations, contrivances... Thoughts in you that are so alien to the nature of God or to His purposes, but you're mulling over what is nauseating to God. You're thinking and you're imagining, employing the mind on things that displease God. You know alien to His nature, but you still accommodate them in your heart. I'm saying to you, if you're going to master integrity, master the intention. Of your heart, master the, the what you contrive, what you yearn for, the purpose, what you intend for, what you reach out for, must be mastered, right? Must be mastered. And I looked at several examples last week, and I want to go to them now. We looked at Abraham, we looked at Joseph. The Lord took us in a little detour there, etc. Some thoughts to you are not unique to you. Some thoughts to you are not initiated by you. Some thoughts in you are satanic insertions. I said this to you, remember? John 13, verse 2. I need to repeat this because of emphasis. John 13, verse 2. It says, During supper the devil have already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to be trained. So here's Judas, going about his business, watch, but the Bible says that thought came, an intention, a desire, an ambition came. In his heart, he trained him for 30 pieces of silver. I'm being dramatic, right? <laughs> okay. He trained him for 30 pieces. Where did that idea come from? It was not unique to Judas. It was spawned in hell by the enemy. But here's the thing. Why did, why did, the, why did Satan, why did that thought... Find a house. Why did that thought find a landing spot? Why? What was Judas's problem? Finance. Greed. The loot. He loved, he was greedy for money. He was covetous. So, an undoubt with deficiency in him, in his makeup called covetousness, was fertile ground for a thought to find accommodation. Yeah, comma, listen carefully. <clears throat> if you don't deal with the small thing that you think innocent and innocuous, it's not so much that you are holding that in check, or at least you think. 
and you think, I can accommodate this little vice in my life. It's not a, such a bad thing. I mean, covetous, greed, uh, not too bad. But that opens the door to a far greater sin in Judas called betrayal. Okay? That, you see, thoughts, intentions of the mind find settlement when they can be accommodated within a deficiency of character that's undoubted by the person. Okay? Undoubted by the person. So if, for example, you find yourself that another woman that's not your wife suddenly attractive to you and you don't check it immediately and you say, I will always be faithful, I can just entertain this flirtatious mentality in my mind. It's not so harmful. I'm saying be careful. Because that thought will lead to greater manifestation. There's something, in fact, let me go there, but I didn't have something else for this morning, but I just feel the Holy Spirit wants us to go here. There's something in Scripture, I have it way back in the series, I'm supposed to deal with this way later, but I'm just feeling maybe to reference it now before, before um, we go on, Okay. There is something in Scripture called the deceitfulness of sin. James chapter 1, listen carefully. James chapter 1 verse 13. Are we on? Okay, we're not. Listen, I'm telling your Bibles on your devices. Let no one say that he's, when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone. Each one is tempted. When? Watch. When is each one? When are you tempted? This scripture says, each one is tempted when he is carried away and he is enticed by his own lust. <coughs> when are you tempted? When can you be tempted? When is the possibility for temptation open to you? According to the scripture, it says, you are carried away by your Lust. Repeat, own lust. Own lust. So there's an undoubted issue within you called something that you own. I want to encourage you, don't own lust. I know it's referenced as his own, unique to him. But I'm reading this as the person has so owned it and has accommodated it into his world and that he has, he has fitted it into his salvation. It's there simultaneously present alongside the nature of Christ He's saved, he's going to heaven, he's serving God, he's coming to church, but there's this thing in him that is there, he's been there for a long time, he's accommodated it, and he's owned it, and he's not willing to deal with it. See, Judas, if Judas simply sorted the covetous problem out, the betrayal problem would not have been a possibility. That's what I'm saying. If, if you sort out the little thing, the door that that little thing potentially opens to, other things is closed. A person never ever falls through the big sin that they fall in. On TVs, in media today, whenever a pastor falls, it's big news, not so? But that is not the thing. If you trace it back, it's usually a far lesser thing that the person did not resolve. But the lesser thing opened the door to a, a bigger thing. So just bump it over and say, sort out your lesser thing. Don't be carried. You see the word 
if you study this in the Greek, we won't have time yet, which can just demand like a Bible study. Carried away literally means that you are, in the Greek, it's like you swept by a wave. There was a recent tsunami in, in uh, Indonesia, you saw it on the news. I saw some horrific videos uh, two days ago. Philippines and the whole area is affected. Okay? And I saw this wave coming and just caused like the Japanese tsunami a few years ago. And a wave just sweep buildings and houses and cars. That's the idea when you are carried away. No matter how strong you think you're standing, that thing comes and sweeps you off your feet. This phrase is used when Barnabas, remember Barnabas? I'll just reference it quickly because of time. Barnabas in Galatians 2, the Bible says this, Peter acted hypocritically. Peter was a hypocrite. Why? Because he would normally eat with Gentiles, right? No problem eating with the Gentile believers in the province of Galatia. He heard that high-ranking Jews were coming from Jerusalem to visit the church. And these were, were, were ardent Judaists, loyal to the law of Moses, Old Testament covenant. They followed the religion of the Jews, faithful to the law of Moses. They were coming and they were high-ranking officials. Yes, Peter, knowing that that system is obsolete, that Christ has died and there's no need for priests still functioning up, maintaining the old system, Old Testament system. He's no, he knows all of that, right? And he had no problem eating with the Gentile groups. Right? But he hears, yes, these guys are coming. You know what the Bible says? For fear of the Jews, he stopped eating with the Gentiles. What is that? That's hypocrisy, not so? The Bible says when I came, Paul's talking, Paul's writing the book of Galatians, Galatians 2. Paul says when I came there, I withstood Peter to his face. This is, I mean, this is a showdown of two apostles. Paul says I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. Okay? And there's a whole story there when you see what Paul said to him. Essentially, and the text says this, and because, Paul says, and because of his dissimulation, the word dissimulation means hypocrisy, acting apart. Because of his dissimulation or his hypocrisy, it says, even Barnabas was swept away with his hypocrisy. Now, it's a frightening thought. Barnabas is no kid on the block. One of us in scripture is this astute man. He's the one who introduced Paul, not so. He's the one when the church at Antioch was founded, who did they send for one year to strengthen the church? They sent Barnabas, not so. This is the guy who sold in Acts 4 his property. He excelled in financial giving, not so? Yes. He's the guy whose, whose name was Joseph, the apostles renamed him Barnabas. Becomes used as a great apostle. But listen carefully. When it says, Peter's hypocrisy was so strong a force and his influence that even Barnabas, Bible says, was swept away with his hypocrisy. Now listen carefully. I never ever want my hypocrisy to sweep others away. 
You see, when God speaks to you, you must deal with the thing. Right? The matter of integrity. You see, it's, in, it's, it's a lack of integrity, Peter. For you to sit with Gentiles, knowing that salvation, Gentiles, non-Jews, salvation is not by the Jewish system of the law, the Old Testament law. It's by faith in Christ Jesus. But you hear they are coming, so you disassociate yourself with Gentile believers to please them. The Bible says not to please them, but because he feared them. Peter's problem was always fear, by the way. Little girl asked him, remember, aren't you one of the disciples? He said, don't bother me. Right? Everyone say fear. My point is, Peter's root problem was fear. And if the root problem was not dealt with, Mm. it manifested hypocrisy at other levels to such a degree that even credible folk like Barnabas would be negatively impacted by his example. Mm. I urge you, I'm speaking, this is not part of my, this wasn't part of my message this morning. I feel the Holy Ghost as I'm saying. Be careful, you father of your household. Be careful, you mother leading your house. You don't compromise. You have children that you are raising. You have a sphere of influence. Never ever underestimate the power of your hypocrisy. Never ever under, never let your kids say, he said one thing, but he lived another thing. No matter what he said, the power of his hypocrisy can sweep even strong people away. Yeah. Peter should have dealt with this. I mean, this is Galatians 2, Peter. Oh, Peter, I thought you were full with the Holy Ghost in Acts. Didn't he? He was yeah. full with the Holy Ghost in Acts. Yeah. And it seemed like he overcame his fear not so. Because he was the one who stood up when they said, it's only nine in the morning and you are all. Who stood up? Peter. 53 days before, he's saying, I don't know the man. He's cursing. I don't know Jesus. Two months later, 53 days to be exact, he's standing at the day of Pentecost saying, we are not drunk as you suppose. This is that which is prophesied by Joel. In the last days I will pour out my spirit. Something happened. And Peter, Acts 10 with Cornelius, you saw him powerfully being used to usher in Gentiles, not so, into the kingdom. That tells me there was a root, everyone say root. Root. If a root of something negative is not completely extracted, mm. at some stage, the fruit will manifest. Yes. Amen. Peter's root problem was insecurity and fear. And, and fear. Even when on the boat, remember, he said, Jesus said, come. All the guys stood back. Mm. Who was the big man? <laughs> this guy, Peter. Peter said, hey, but you, I'm mm. coming. Mm-hmm. And what happened? He started to manifest faith. But he took his eyes off the Lord and he started looking at the, 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 the danger of the sea. And he said, Peter always, if you study Peter's life, he had that, that flow to his life. He would be the first among them. He would start off and then suddenly drop and come back. Okay? Suddenly. I mean, Jesus asked him, who do men say I am? Who was the one who piped up? Then Peter said, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. God." What did Jesus say to him? 
So even if you can say something commendable to us, and say, far be it from you that you should die. And I say to you, get behind me, Satan. This is called the law of double reference. Everyone say law of double reference. When Jesus said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, a violent, righteous anger welled up in Jesus. Did he not come to die? Yes. Come on, talk. Did he not come to sacrifice his life? Yes. Yes, someone telling him, be it far from you. He's saying, you are acting in such contradiction to the ultimate expression of the, the will of God for my life. So my point is, watch, the, the matter of the intentions of the heart, the notions, the contrivance, the concoctions, what is lurking inside there will manifest itself sometimes in your speech, by how you speak, by how you advise people, will tell me where your priorities are. Jesus said, you're thinking, let me paraphrase. In the King James it says, you savor the things that be of God and not of men. Jesus was saying to him, Peter, you are now thinking like a natural man. You're thinking so earthly. You're thinking so base and basic that your thoughts being natural are going to seriously attack my capacity to fulfill my destiny. Be careful as to who advises you. Listen carefully. I feel the caution of the Lord here. Be careful as to who ministers to you. Be careful as to whose words flood your mind and ear. Because sometimes well-meaning intentions could be concoctions from hell to abort your destiny when those well-meaning intentions are not spiritually rooted. For the record, let's just read Psalm 101. Okay, before we go, we we'll go in a moment. I want to finish this, the section in James. Remember, I said to you, sort out the smaller thing so that you don't fall prey to the bigger thing. Mm. Peter should have sorted out his fear issue so he doesn't have a hypocritical issue in Genesis, in Galatians chapter, chapter 2. Okay? It's not the big, big, big things. What did Jesus say? What spoils the vine? The little foxes. When he said small foxes spoil the vine, he was, I think you were saying, because the smallest of the issue, left undoubted, will significantly sabotage destiny. Okay? Significantly sabotage destiny. So you have a problem with misrepresentation, let's say. You falsify figures. To misrepresent facts. Hmm? Smaller things will lead to bigger things. You have no problem stealing paper at your work without authority. Now we must make an article. (laughs) You have no problem using the resources of your work, even its time, for personal agenda. If you, everyone say integrity. Integrity. This thing about integrity is going to wire you so much that do not do the wrong thing because it reveals the state of your heart. And I am saying, you might not know what's in the heart until someone microscopically assesses your behavior. Mm. You might say to me, oh, Randolph, I only took a box of staples from the work to use for my personal thing. Not a big deal. I'm saying, big deal! Because the small thing Left 
yet checked is going on. Then you steal the staples. I'm checking your staples. <laughs> you steal the staples. Then you wonder why 10 years from that point, the man can embezzle millions of rands. When it started off with something small, but left unchecked. Then a whole world of problems are, are, are open. I will not now duplicate another CD for anybody. God spoke to me about that in the series. It's a lack of integrity. When in the copyright it says unauthorized duplication not allowed mm-hmm. unless you get written permission from the, the producers and you go and do that. What have you done? You violated a, a principle. So no more duplication of music that does not belong to you. And everybody said, <laughs> come on, say it louder. <laughs> Person asks you, how's that song? Tell them, go buy it. <laughs> this iTunes, this food, this thing. You go buy it. You're not getting it from me. Because if I do that, I will be violating a principle. Amen? Amen. Come on, say it louder. Some people are still convicted about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm saying, you see, we focus on big things like morality, on, on, on uh, adultery or whatever. Right. Major thing. But it's the niggy, niggy, niggy things. <laughs> It's going to mess us up. Right? It's a small little things that will mess us up. Oh, I'll just give five minutes to the poor. Won't harm me. Got a big time harm. I'll just have a glimpse. Do you know what uh, uh, when, when Lot left, left Sodom and Gomorrah? Remember? The Bible says, and Lot's wife turned back. The one last look messed up. It was the fleeting last look that forever crippled her destiny. Turn to your neighbor. Say this to them. I will not look at Paul. I will not look at Paul. I will not look at Paul. A standard in this house, purity. And I'm saying, even like the fleeting issues, or the, the little, uh, I call them lapses, momentary indiscretions. A momentary lapse, a momentary fall. I'm saying is the nigga 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 yeah. little thing you're containing. Okay? So tax time. Don't falsify the figures. Misrepresent your income to pay the tax. Talk to Andy if you want to avoid tax, but don't evade tax. <laughs> tax evasion is illegal. Tax avoidance is there are ways in which you can receive income to pay less tax. But if you're legitimately receiving income, I'm saying everyone say integrity of the heart. Integrity of the heart. Because if a small thing is not sorted out, you cannot administrate the, 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 the bigger things. When David prayed, search me and see if there's any wicked way in me, he literally was saying, I don't know what is in me. Mm. Unless you search, then only can I know. Yeah. And I'm saying, as we read, the word of God is sharp. When it comes as a lamp, it will light up your life and, and speak to you about certain about certain things. Who comes late for work here? That's a lack of integrity. Mm. You're not integrous if you cannot come promptly for your workplace. Okay? It's simply dishonor to your boss. Right? You come properly. You come focused. You know, I, I, I used to teach. I went beyond the call of duty when I taught. 
right, to the point where I would even compromise my physical health, my body, with, with, uh, because of things I was involved in. Why did I do that? I did not do it to please my boss. I did it to please my God. Amen. Why am I governed by this? Because Colossians, you see, for integrity, there are principles in the world that govern every aspect of life. And in Colossians and Ephesians, it speaks about employers and employees. Employees and how they should behave. And it says, when you work towards a boss, you do not do it as a man, pleaser, but you do it as unto the Lord. And it says, because the Lord who sees you, He will reward you. Your bank, your, your, your wage package or your monthly salary might be the way in which your earthly boss rewards you uh, monetarily. I'm experiencing now, I know, I know this categorically, I'm experiencing blessings now because of what I did in my teaching career. Mm. There's rewards from the law that come. Not because you did things unto men, but because of your love and commitment to Him in the workplace was one of honor Amen. and respect. Amen? So everybody's going to work early on Monday. Hallelujah. <laughs> you don't leave before you should. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, why is this important? Listen carefully. It says in James, so it says, each one is tempted when he is carried away. Sorry, I got carried away. By <laughs> the word carried away. It says he's swept away, carried away, or is enticed by his own lust. And verse 15, this is James 3, verse 15, James 1 and verse 15. It says, watch, do we have Then, just go to verse 13, I want you to see this, it's nice to see the word. Let no one say when he is tempted, I have been tempted by God, for God cannot tempt, be tempted by evil, neither does he himself not tempt anyone. Each one is tempted when he is, there's the word, carried away, and enticed by his own lust. So, undoubt lust will sweep you away. That's what it means. The next verse says this, when lust conceives, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings, it brings forth death. Sin has got a deception to it. When one is deceived, the word deceived denotes the person does not know a thing. Some agenda is hidden. If I deceive you, I would wink you, I pull the wool over your eyes, right? In other words, you can't see my intent or my agenda when, I when, you, when you are deceived. Now, the scripture I'll, I'll show to you in a moment, it talks about sin as a deceptive agent or deceptive nature to it. Does anybody tell, for example, a would-be adulterer of the negative, serious ramifications of it, up front. No, not so. If the person knew the, the negative impact, they would think twice, not so. Mm -hmm. So it never presents, it never presents to you the negativity or the, the disastrous outcomes of an accident always presents to you its pleasantries. Right? What does it say about Moses? He chose to endure, what does the verse go? He chose to endure affliction with the children of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Not so only in the book of Hebrews. Right? There's something called pleasures of sin. Sin is nice, guys. Something called the pleasure. 
it gives you a certain kick and a high and maybe a sense of this is what the Bible says, there's something called the pleasures but sin in presenting to you pleasures never ever tells you it's hidden agenda mm. presents you the niceties of it but it never presents to you the negatives, the, 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 the negativity of it, okay so, lust undoubtedly conceives it gives birth to sin and when sin is accomplished Death. Look at this text in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12. Watch it. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12. Take care. Everyone say take care. In other words, focus on this. Brethren, that there be any one of you in an evil, what? Unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Verse 13 says, but encourage one another day after day, as it is so called today, so that none of you will be what? Hardened, hardened by what? It does, it does not say you will be hardened by sin. You will be hardened by sin's deceit. Hmm. Sin has a deceptive element to it. Right? Your heart is hardened by the deceptiveness of, of sin. Verse 14. For we have become partakers of Christ if, everyone say if, if we hold the beginning of our assurance firm unto the end. When it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as when they provoke me. Okay? I want to read to you Hebrews 3.13 for the deceitfulness of sin from the New International Revised Version. It captures the sting and the intent of this verse when it says, careful because you will become hardened by sin's deceit. Uh, listen to this. This is in the, the NIRV. But build up one another every day. Do it as long as there is no time. Then none of you will become stubborn, hardened, stubborn, and you will not be fooled by sin's tricks. Sin has tricks up the city. Don't be fooled by sin's tricks. So married men, when that, that lady comes to you with high heels, <laughs> falls in. Doll <laughs> of makeup. Suggestive dress. And you are the son of God. Great places in God. And you see temptation? Don't look at the pleasantries or the niceties or the pleasures that sin can give you. Look at it in the eye and say, I can see the deceit right through you, madam. <laughs> no, 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 no. I see right through you. I will not fall for your tricks. I see your intent. Mm. Tell someone, don't fall for sin's tricks. Don't fall for <laughs> sin's tricks. Don't fall for sin's tricks. To lie is a trick. Okay? Don't fall for sin's tricks. Never ever pass off a quote or an idea that's not yours without acknowledging the source. Mm. It's a lack of integrity. integrity. Okay, Intellectual property must be honored. If it's not original to you, cite the source. Right? Or don't seek mileage on information that you did not initiate, but you're running on the back of somebody else's work. Okay? Tell you never normal plagiarism. Normal plagiarism. Let me just say this to you. If you plagiarize, you know what you automatically negate you're negating your own potential. Mm. You're stopping up your own creativity. 
Quranic wants to say integrity of another. Okay? So it's a lack of integrity. Tell someone impeccable integrity. <laughs> we must get this right, man. Doctor, you see, plagiarism, you might think, well, innocuous. Small thing. I would say not small because that is the doorway to open up to a whole lot of other deceits, misrepresentation, and, and lies. Okay? So it's very, very important that we, that we, that we focus um, on this. Gee, time has really gone. I haven't really got to what I want to preach today. Simply because of the passage of time. Um, say light. Light. Okay, I will never get, if I start what I wanted, it's going to take too long. And there's another like sudden on its own. But I want to read just in closing Psalm 139 again from verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in heaven, show or hell, you are there. Verse 9, if I take the wings of the dawn, the morning, and I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will hold me. If I say, surely darkness will overwhelm me, the light around me will be night. Even darkness, we sang it, even darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day, and darkness and light are alike to you. Last week I challenged you. Why is it that to God darkness is light? Why? Because first John, the key is first John one five. That verse is This is the message we have heard, first John one five. This is the message we have heard from him and announce to you that God is what? God is light and in him there is no there is no darkness. So if he is full full embodiment and the encapsulation and the expression of light. Anything he looks at, even if there's darkness there, the, the darkness in the other is as light to him because he can see right through. Mm. Right? And I made this bold statement last week to you. If you constantly talk about the darkness in the other without the capacity to remediate the other or to help the other, or to deliver that other, what you talk about as darkness in them only highlights the, de- the degree to which that same darkness is in you. Mm-hmm. Right? God can, you see when David said, search me and, just read it, what verse was that, search me and, Psalm 139, 23? Oh, yeah. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. David wants to God to know the internality of his heart, the real what makes it what's what's lurking there. Search me and know me, try me and know my anxious thoughts, and then the next verse quickly. See, everyone say see. See. The search is to see. Mm. The search is for David to know if there's any hurtful way, and the word hurtfully I explained to you is offensive. He's saying that the degree to which I bring hurt to others. That's what he's saying. The capacity to hurt or offend others. And then he says, lead me in the way everlasting. And this is what I encourage you. I said, God's search is never to embarrass you. God's search is always to lead you to the preferred way. Some of you are squirming in your seats right now. Because the Lord is highlighting certain things. Let me just say to you, if you're feeling uneasy, relax. Tell someone just relax. Because you're in family. This is the house of the Lord. This is, there's no judgment here. 
whenever David says search and see, the intent of the search of God is to lead mm. to a more preferred way. Right? The exposure of the Lord is to empower you to come to a place that will better, better you. So I say to you, how can you take the speck out of your brother's eye when in your eye there's this huge beam or light bulb? Right? Okay. The NLT frames it nicely. It says you can't observe something, I'm just paraphrasing, you can't help your brother take the speck out of his eye when you're looking at the speck through the lenses of your beam. And the error you're highlighting the other only reveals what's in you. you yeah. But, everyone say but. but. But if you become like God, and in you there's no darkness. From a position of light, you can see anybody's darkness and bring light to that darkness. Mm. You'll be in a powerful position to help. Amen. Now light, I don't know, I was fascinated in the week, one of the days, in, uh, at uh, Rucheek, where we were, God said, Randolph, lighten up. <laughs> you want to read it? Tell someone, lighten up. Are you not, not Jesus say you are the? Light. And when light comes, darkness cannot comprehend it, cannot withstand it. Right? Let me just, I want to encourage you. I don't want to, I don't want to scare you. But my eyes are being opened to multiple things for which I don't have evidence. But God's allowing me to see some of your darkness. Some of you we might address personally. It's a position you need to father it. You see, if I am judgmental, God will not show me. But if my heart is to remediate and to help, God will. Because Jesus entered the room and said he knew what was in there. Right? That's dangerous capacity. Dangerous skills. More looking people's hearts. Okay. Now let me just close with one thing. When Elisha refused to take money from Naaman, remember? The Hazi Elisha's servant, without Elisha's knowledge, went behind his back. Everyone say behind his back. Behind his back. And he fraudulently extracted funds from Naaman. And he said, My master sent me to give me the money. What was Gahazi's problem? Again, it was the money. It's amazing how fast the point you say, money make you funny. <laughs> Listen carefully, this thing will cause you to do the wrong thing. You know, I'm, I'm so free from covetousness and I demonstrate it by how I give. I'm pre- Every time I give, I demonstrate you money but no control over me. You are not my master, God is my master. I want to make it plain here before everyone. None of you are my source of supply. None of you. God my Father is. Right? If you think that you can withhold money and not honor God or me in God or God in me, keep it. Rather keep it than to give it with the wrong attitude. Because even if you don't, my Father will find a way to resource it. Somewhere, somehow, and it's proven, I've proved over and and you know what what God was what God kept telling me? Randolph, I want to fill you with light in reference to finances. So I need to make sure there's not an ounce of greed, covetousness within you. 
So that you, in monetary terms, I'm just talking financially now, you can apply this melody in a host of other areas, so that you can function from a place where you're so full of light, and, and there's no lesser thing like covetousness, greed, or insecurity, or fear of not having, that will cause you now, I remember once, I, I almost went back to teaching. Remember I testified a few years ago, things were bad in the church, income wasn't happening, you couldn't even sustain bare things. I wasn't being salaried for a few months. Bits and pieces here and there. And I had a family to take care of. And um, somebody gave me wind that there's a potential vacancy at the same school where I was. And that my, my, my principal said that if I want to just walk in, you can start today. Mm. And the enemy dangled the carrot in front of you. Come, come, come. I will never forget that day I woke up and I went down to my study. The morning I was due to follow Mr. Bishop, the principal. I will never forget the day I said, Lord, am I doing that? I didn't have peace about it. One good thing about making a decision is that if you don't have peace, don't make it. Yeah. I, I, I didn't have complete peace. Right? So, and I remember I said, Praise. So I just, I concluded now major direction from the Lord. And I read a verse from Isaiah, just at the end of my devotion. The Lord said to me, the verse says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt to find their sustenance. <laughs> I got this. I immediately decided. God didn't have to speak to me three or four times. I just read, I knew this is the word from the Lord for me. Don't go to Egypt. Woe to you if you go to seek your sustenance. You see, God was submitting me to a, to a series of, of rigorous tests. So if, my point is, if I did not deal with the fear issue, the insecurity issue, I would have watched. I would have made a decision to go back to teaching for a season, but that that decision would have a, would be a decision that lacked integrity. It would have displeased God. Because it was rooted in fear. It was rooted in the lack of trust in Father. Okay? So the small issues must be, must be dealt with. Amen. Slip up our hands to the Lord. Can we come? Let's just sing that song. I want us to sing. Listen. Tell your neighbor you are full of light. I want everybody here to be full of Let it be your passion. Family of light. People see there's no darkness in us. And God will use you if you are enlightened. Full of light. Lighten up. Tell someone lighten up. The light. You see, the nature of God is light. Uh, it's an amazing thing, eh? it's an amazing thing. God knows your darkness. You see, the Bible says that in John 13, verse 2, that Satan put that thought into the heart of Judas, Iscariot, to betray. By the end of, of, of John 13, it says, and Satan entered Judas. Mm. And he went out to betray. Yeah. Satan never enters you until he can first enter your thoughts. So can I can I ask you, church? Are we going to sort out the small matters? Yes. Right? Sort out the small matters. I'm trying to behave myself in robots. The lack of integrity to go through a red robot. The Bible says he would praise the Lord. Even his prayer is an abomination to the Lord. That's in the book of Psalms. Yeah. You obey the law. I do it when it's unsafe. At night, I go to a red road because the higher law is I protect myself. Yeah. 
I think it's generally, you know, alluded to just be a person of discipline, of of of, of soberness. Stand with us. Team, come to see. Even the darkness is light to you. Even the darkness, even the darkness is light to you. It's hard to believe. It's hard to believe. But you say that it's true. Even the darkness, even the darkness is light to you.
before the Lord. I really sense, honestly sense, that darkness has been dispelled. The thing you are grappling with in the darkness of your life has no more hold or control over you. I break the power of sin's deceit. If you cannot see what sin intends to do with you, I break its power to deceive you. In the name of the Lord Jesus, see it for what it is and hate the thing. Rather suffer, you rather suffer affliction than to enjoy the pleasures of sin that is not of God's baby. The Lord bless you. The Lord pour His grace and His mercy upon you, church. Receive the love of God. Receive the empowerment of the Lord. Receive the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Bless you.